Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. God is great. Um, I know that this season is not always glorious for everyone. Um, and sometimes when you're, you know, have all your family and loved ones together, we can forget that that may not be the case for everyone or Everyone doesn't have the financial means to buy all the gifts that some of us will be purchasing. I say will be because I haven't purchased any. Because um, <laughs> um, it's not about that. That's what I'm going to tell my kids. It's not about that. Um, uh, but it, it really truly is about Christ uh, in this season and in every season. I mean, every day it's about him. And so the more we can acknowledge it in this season because people are open to hearing that message or open to uh, give a little more, lend their ear a little more. Uh, they'll do things that they don't normally do. Um, they have the Christmas spirit. Uh, my children had, it's uh, a quick story. Uh, so my son is coming, my son goes to school down in Macon, Georgia at Mercer University. And um, he's coming home tomorrow. Uh, and so my so every so he has a car. It's gonna be lengthy. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> he has a car that he has there. So every semester, uh, normally me, my wife has gone a couple of times, but one of us would fly down to help him drive back, and then uh, during the only during the Christmas because he's Christmas break because he's out for three or four weeks, and at the end, so then one of us will help him drive back and then fly back. So it becomes an ordeal. Uh, who's going to go pick up Virgil? Who's going to go fly down? And my son's Virgil as well. Uh, Veej, we call him. Who's going to go pick up Veej? Who's going to go pick up Veej? And it normally is me. My wife hates driving, and so I'm the one who drives. And my son has shown no interest whatsoever in driving the nine-and-a-half-hour trip. <laughs> None whatsoever. Uh, even the last few times that I picked him up, he sat in the back seat so he can go to sleep, and I drove the whole time. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> we endeavor to uh, work. So I said, he, he's not, we're going to be doing this. He's a junior now. We've been doing this for three years. Uh, I said, he's going to be a senior. We're going to be doing this when he's graduating. We're going to be driving this kid back and forth uh, uh, to Mercer, uh, Macon, Georgia. So this year I was like, I'm not doing it this year. Somebody's going to have to do it. <laughs> I, I don't want to do it. I'm busy. I got some things going on. I have to do this Christmas shopping that I haven't started yet. Uh, and so my daughter, uh, who's 19, my son is 20, said, I'll go, which is not much better. <laughs> but we were like, okay, well, as long as he has, my, our concern is that he has no one with him. And to drive nine and a half hours by yourself at 20 is a whole lot, is a big ordeal and with no one with you. Um, and so... We're like, well, she's not much help, but she <laughs> is a body in the car that will assist him. Uh, and I say all this to say this has to do with the Christmas spirit. So uh, my daughter is flying out. She had to work last night. So she's flying out today to go down, and then they're going to drive back tomorrow. Well, his, my son said, well, I want to come home. I'll pick her up from the airport tonight, and I'll drive throughout the night. And I was like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> And so I said, and my wife told him, this is via text message. She's like, well, your father doesn't want you to drive throughout the night. 
and, but it's up to you guys. I said, well, it's up to them. I don't want them to drive the other night. So my son responds. This is in the Christmas spirit. He says, well, if dad doesn't want us to drive throughout the night, then we're going to listen and do what dad wants us to do and not drive throughout the night. And I said, what? <laughs> Who kid is this? And my daughter co-signed this and said, yeah, since you didn't want us to, we're going to do what you asked. When have you ever done what I asked? I said to her. I said, this must be what they call the Christmas spirit. <laughs> I said, because any other time they were like, we're just going to drive the other night. We don't, we're not concerned about what dad wants. Uh, I should say that they do concern themselves. But in light of that, uh, so many people have the Christmas spirit. I think that's a Christmas miracle in and of itself. Uh, maybe I should ask, request a few other things before Christmas gets here. And maybe they will oblige. Nevertheless, uh, this is the season for obedient children, right? (laughs) Um, So what we're going to be talking about today is Advent. Hope, peace, love, and joy. Uh, Though it is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible, Advent is inspired by the scripture. Uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, a Masonic prophet, foretold Jesus' birth centuries before it took place. Uh, and this is in Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, a young woman pregnant and about to bear a son shall name him Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 7, 14. This is foretold centuries before Jesus was even born. And then in the Gospels, the fulfillment of that prophecy is found in uh, Matthew 18, uh, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And it reads, uh, now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way when his mother Mary had be, been engaged to Joseph. But before they lived together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, through the prophet Isaiah. It says, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until they had born the son, and he named him Jesus. And that is the reason for the Advent season. It's a four-week period uh, before Christmas, so normally it is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and it leaves up until this Sunday before Christmas, before uh, Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas. Uh, it is the celebration or anticipation of the coming Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The origin of the word Advent is Latin, which means Adventus, which simply translates coming or arrival. Not only is a Christian, meaning, and not only for the Christian, as we prepare and celebrate the coming birth of Jesus Christ, we also celebrate the new life which comes when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, but we also anticipate the returning of Jesus Christ uh, when he comes back for his children, his saints. The Advent candles, uh, there are four. There are themes each week. There's uh, each, a different theme for each week 
uh, of Advent. Families and church congregations begin to light the candle, uh, like I said, on the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and they light each candle every Sunday up until the fourth candle is lit, which would be this Sunday. Uh, there is an optional fifth candle. Uh, you know, we can never leave good enough alone. Uh, <laughs> the fifth candle represents light and purity. Uh, so the first candle represents hope, and it's called the prophet's candle. The prophets of the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, uh, waited in hope for the Messiah's arrival. Uh, the second candle represents peace. It's called the, it's called the Bethlehem candle. Uh, Micah had foretold that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which is the birthplace of King David. Uh, the third candle symbolizes joy, and it's called the shepherd's candle because the shepherds had such great joy The angels at the announcement of Jesus by the angels. They came humbly, uh, and, that Jesus, and they were excited because Jesus was going to come humbly, and he was unimportant, uh, and that means that he was coming for people like them just a shepherd in the field, that this Jesus will come to people like them and be their king. Uh, in liturgy, the color rose signifies joy. So sometimes there's a red candle for that third candle. And the fourth candle represents love. And it's called the angel's candle. The angels announced that Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring four people close to God and to each other again. The fourth candle is purple leading us to eagerly await the coming of the kingdom of God on earth. So those are your four candles. And normally you would get a message in some churches, normally uh, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, um, Anglican churches have high or liturgy, and they, were, they would do this every year. So every, you knew every Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving that starts the Advent season. And so sometimes uh, many of us, I wouldn't say many, some evangelical churches follow the, uh, I should say, uh, liturgy as far as the calendar that talks about at, uh, Passover, there's Lent, there's certain seasons throughout the year that we, we as uh, evangelicals uh, or Christians would recognize. And we don't, also, we don't follow them as some of those other churches do, because they are guaranteed that every year they're going to do certain things at Passover. They're going to do certain things at Lent, during Lent. Um, but we have sometimes, some of us have adopted certain things. I know when I started, probably before moving here, uh, that we would recognize Lent at a church that I was attending in Raleigh, uh, and we were give up something for the Lent season. So we would give up TV or sweets or cookies or whatever you decide to give up a lot of times it was sweets which was difficult for me um uh, but whatever would be more challenging for you sometimes you would give that up during lent season as a you know honoring the lord and remembering him and what he went through as his sacrifice on the cross uh should christians observe advent this is a matter of personal conviction uh, the Bible in Romans 14 and, five, 14 and 5 and 6 says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever yours one day as special does so to the Lord. So in commemorating these dates, you know, we're doing this unto the Lord, not because we're 
practicing some religious practice or we just want to be doing something. But if we're going to do this and commemorate it, we want to do this as unto the Lord. And this is not a bad thing to do. You know, commemorating the birth of Jesus during this season um, is not a bad thing. We want to anticipate. And it should be something we should do every day in all seasons. We should be acknowledging that Christ came and he came to die for our sins. Uh, And that's something that we should acknowledge every day, all the time. But remembering it during this Advent season is okay. Are Christians required to observe Advent? No, you're not required. There's no biblical basis that says, hey, you must do this and you must preach this, these four Sundays leading up to Christmas. There is no uh, biblical basis for it. You don't have to do it. Does observing Advent make you a better Christian or more acceptable to God? No. (laughs) Point blank, no. Can celebrating Advent be a good reminder of what this season truly is about? Yes, it can be a good reminder of what the season truly is about. And here is here's where we are now. This is just a reminder of what the season is about. And so we're going to jump into it. We're going to transition to hope. We're going to go over. Uh, so this is we're going to do four messages today. <laughs> we're going to. Just we didn't cover them the past few Sundays. We're going to do all four right now. And it won't be long. They're not very long. But um, the first is hope. Uh, we're going to look in King James, uh, the New King James Version and the NIV Version of First Peter 3.15. Uh, and it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And the NIV reads, but in your hearts, revere Christ the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So there are three things you want to do when, uh, about this hope that you have. I want to recognize this hope. One, you want to honor the Lord in your heart. So with this hope, it says, and King, New King James it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And the NIV says, uh, let your hearts revere Christ as Lord. So, number one, to have this hope, Christ must be Lord in your heart. Without that, you can't have hope. <laughs> you can't separate the hope from Christ. He is our hope. He is hope. Uh, he says, give the reason for the hope that is that you have. That hope you have is Christ, and he should be Lord in your heart. And so many times people find it difficult to give a justification because Christ is not Lord in their hearts. And when I mean Lord in your hearts, that means he's Lord in your life. Your everyday dealings is a reflection of what he's calling you to do. This is not my life to live. And I have to remind myself, I have to remind myself every day that this is not my life. Because Virgil has opinions, you can ask my wife, and, <laughs> and ideas about everything and will critique and give advice. Um, and I have to say, this is not my life. This is Christ's life. And he is Lord in my heart. Because he's Lord in my heart, I'm following him every day, all day. 
And so when I'm following him, he's Lord in my heart. I can give a reason for the hope or faith that I have in him. And I meant to say before, some uh, the four the Advent is hope, peace, love, and joy. There are some sects, denominations that change that up. They may be, um, instead of hope, they may say faith. Uh, instead of peace, they do, uh, there is love. They do some other things. They may transverse the dates and t- uh, the, uh, the weeks with a different one. But for all intents and purposes, this was overwhelmingly hope, peace, love, and joy was the one that I, the four that I found to be overwhelmingly uh, used uh, among the Catholic and Anglican churches, those those four, hope, peace, love, and joy. So if you go somewhere and research and you see, oh, it's not hope, it's faith. I wasn't lying to you. And some people do things a little different, but it's okay. Um, but we're going to go with hope. Um, what is... <laughs> What is the reason for the hope or faith that is in you? What is the reason for that? You know, think about what is the reason for the hope that I have? Is the hope of a returning Savior? Is the hope I have the continued sanctification that I live in him? Is it a hope for salvation for my friends and family? Is the hope in God? Is our hope in God? Romans fifteen thirteen says, may the God of hope. Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with what? Hope. <laughs> By the power of the Holy Spirit. So the God of hope, and this is just like God. He he's he's like he's he's gonna give you the power, and then he's also going to allow you to utilize that power. He is the source, he's the author, but he's also the inspirer. So he's not only saying, I'm the God of hope, and if you get in me, then you will have hope, and then that hope will spread to others. <laughs> uh, Pastor Minerva said that earlier. <laughs> said that we must get in him so that we can get this love, so that then this love we can share to others and, be dis- and disciple them and lead them to Christ. So the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace. That's coming soon. Joy and peace as you trust in him. So as we trust in him, we'll get this hope. And then that hope will overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. That's important. We have to be in him. We have to be Lord in our hearts, first and foremost. And we have to have a reason for if someone asks, why, why are you so hopeful? This world is crazy. You know, people are killing themselves. I heard about a young man who was 40 who, who committed suicide. Uh, there's wars and rumors of wars. and um, Yeah, this world can be crazy. <laughs> and, you know, and, and sometimes even during this season, family members sometimes get in crisis. And there can be a lot going on. And yet we have hope. And it's not because of this world system or the government or whatever else. It is because of Jesus. (laughs) I have hope because God is hope and he lives in me and he's given me that hope. And that's unchanging. It's unwavering. It does not change. God is not just the inspirer of the hope, but also the author of hope. 
And we pray that we respond when someone asks us about that hope with respect and love. Peace. We have hope. We have peace. Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. This is the NIV version. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and call uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. I think Paul definitely said this on purpose. (laughs) Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope (laughs) and without God in the world. Speaks right to it, right? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He's our hope. And now he is our peace who has made the two groups, the uncircumcised and the circumcised, the Saints and the Aints, however you want the Dallas Cowboys and the Redskins, however you want to name them, <laughs> Carolina versus NC State, I don't know, whatever. Uh, well, it would be uh, Virginia Tech versus UVA, right? However you want, whoever's in and whoever's out. We, he came, uh, he made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. That's good stuff, y'all. For he himself is our peace. Verse 14. Who has made the two groups, this is the circumcised and the uh, uncircumcised, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For though, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That's good, y'all. That's good. There's so much to unpack there, and we don't have all the time today to do this. <laughs> but um, the only thing God saw was the circumcised and the uncircumcised. You know, so whatever isms that you have, he saw this right here. And he came to break that barrier down so that there would be no two groups. There would be no, oh, this race and that race, or this and this, and whatever hostilities you have, the dividing wall is broken down, and the new humanity is in him because he is our peace. He is peace. And so when we focus on him, we can't help but have peace. Your differences, whatever they may be, will be dwindled when he is the focus. Because you can't, when you have the word in front of you, and he is the focus, then nothing else matters. When he is in you, and he is your hope, nothing else matters. When, he is, when you are in him, and he is your peace, nothing else matters. 
he is the peace. And whatever isms that we may have, we're going to go right back to the word of God. And it says here, oh, he broke down those barriers. And he doesn't want us to have this hostility. And he wants me to love my neighbor as myself. And he wants me to be kind to my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And he wants me to love them. Oh, okay. So then I, I shouldn't have any hostility. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what color your hair is. It doesn't matter how short or tall you are. This is the dividing wall of hostility that he broke down. And it is in that that we have this unity and this peace. Uh, finally, brother, 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brethren, farewell, be complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The God of love and peace. We're going to get on love later, but he is the God of hope. He's the God of peace. Philippians 4, 9 says, and the God of peace will be with you. He is all these things. He's Emmanuel. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He is the good shepherd. He is the God of peace. He has come to give us peace with our brothers and sisters, with humanity. So whenever you feel like you are hostile, Remember that what Christ came for. Whenever you sense that there's some hostility, that you have some angst against somebody or you dislike a group of people, remember what Christ came for. And remember that he embodies that peace. And that doesn't mean that you accept everything. That's not what they're saying. You don't accept. We don't. There's a, a, there's a word of God here. And we don't mean we accept everything and we're going to go along just to be going along. No. But I can live in peace with you. There are people that I work with every day that I dislike or don't like their lifestyle. Uh, They wouldn't know. I I think they wouldn't. (laughs) But I live in peace with them. It's my job. Hey, to get along. There are actually human resource departments to make sure that you get along with your coworkers. And if you don't, then there are things, there are processes that you go through. How much more does God want the children of God to represent love in the earth and to say, hey, I, this is wrong and I can call that out, but I can love you nevertheless. I can call out this sin. I can say, hey, homosexuality is wrong, but I can love you nonetheless. I can say adultery is wrong, but I still can love you nonetheless. Cheating, stealing, backbiting, gossiping, uh, hurting people's feelings and all that is wrong. (laughs) But I can love you in spite of the wrong that you do, the sin that you do. And it's so important. I think we we have some in our minds, um, there's value placed on sin. This sin is a lot worse than this sin, and this sin is a lot worse than this sin, and the judgment value on this sin here and this sin here. And I remember a while ago, um, I read something that says, uh, this may seem a little gross, uh, <laughs> I'll let you warn you now, said, would you, i use an alternative, uh, would you use, um, if someone gave you toilet water, they gave you a glass of water, and they said, I'm just going to put a little bit of this toilet water in your glass of water. Would that be okay? <laughs> just a little bit, though. It's just a little bit. It's, it's not that bad. It actually looks like your water, you know. And you would say, no, that's disgusting. 
how much more just a little bit of sin is disgusting to God. So there's no value in, oh, this sin is so much more disgusting. You wouldn't want toilet water in your glass, not even a little bit. And so how much more does God look at that and say, it's all sin and I don't want any of it. You guys have placed value on sin and said this sin is more acceptable, so I accept this sin. But this sin, no, we can't accept. It's all sin, and it will lead you to hell. And God says, I don't want any of it. I'm sorry I jumped on. Uh, love. We have hope, uh, peace, love. First John 4, 7 through 11, it says, Be loved. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Minerva just preached this this earlier today. She said they they can't love because they don't know God. They can't give it out. They don't know. And we, we get upset when people are not able or have the capacity to love. But if they don't know God, so they can't. Um. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And this is good. He said, beloved, if God loved us, he didn't say we should love him. He said we ought to love one another. Because that is what his love is for. It's not, it is it's for us to share. It's for us to go out to the world and show that love. It's not to heap it upon ourselves and to say, oh, look, we're so loved and we're so great and we're so good. But it's to go out and show that love. What is love if it's not shown to others? And when I was just to submit, what is love if it's not shown to the people who are disloved the most? <laughs> we must show love. God represents love. God is hope. God is peace. God is love. And finally, joy. Psalm 16 and 11, it says, you will show me the path of life in your presence it's fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures evermore. So here it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And this joy uh, in the strong concordance is 80, 57. And this shimka is the Greek word, shimka, which means joy and gladness. It says, that in your presence is fullness of joy. And that means the joy is complete. There's complete joy in your presence. I want to be in your presence so I can experience that complete joy. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And that rejoicing means, uh, it's a definition to be glad again. It's not the same strong AD 57, um, but it means, uh, it says chairo, which means to rejoice, to be glad. And that rejoicing is uh, rejoicing because of the grace of God. You can rejoice always because you're always aware of the grace of God in your life. And when you live in a, uh, when you have in your mindset that 
I can do nothing right. And I only have what I have is because of the grace of God. It's not because of my own might. It's not because of my own power. It's not because I look so good, uh, which I might, uh, or I smell so good, or all the other good things that you think you are. It's not because of that. It is because of the grace of God in my life. And when you have a posture of, hey, acknowledging the grace of God in your life, then you know that you, you can be full, you can rejoice in that always. Not, not necessarily rejoice in every situation and every circumstance, but rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in his grace. Realizing that even when bad things happen to me, I'm alive to experience the bad thing that happened to me. And I know that he will see me through that. I'm going to end with this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis from the book Mere Christianity. It says, it reads, Good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. This is great coming after COVID, right? (laughs) If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, and I will add hope and peace and love, if you want those things, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not some sort of a prize which God would give you if he chooses just to hand out to anyone at the end of your life. They are the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting spurting up at the very center of reality, which is in Jesus. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. And I submit to you that you just don't go to the pool to get sprayed. You go to the pool to jump in the water. <laughs> I, I submit that you immerse yourself in God. Immerse yourself in the love, in the peace, in the joy, in the hope. Don't just want to be sprayed with it, but get into it. Because he is those things. And once we immerse ourselves in him, then those will overflow in our lives and then others will be impacted. So, but not by us, but by him and his power and his love. And being a disciple becomes easier when our hearts are ruled by him and we are loved. The love of him is, is, is flowing out of us. Amen. Um, I just want to, again, I'm going to close us out, but I want to remind you that we will not have service next Sunday, but we will have an online message. You can pick it up on YouTube or Facebook Live or um, any of our other media sites. Um, 15, 20 minutes, you can gather your family around the fire, if it's cold enough to have a fire, (laughs) Uh, that morning and Review, look at that message, and I pray that you will be blessed by it, and then you can go about your day. But uh, stand to your feet and let us close. Again, want to thank our guests or visitors for coming today. Pray that you will were blessed and that God will continue to be with you. And let us close. Let me close you out with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace on today.
And remember the Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. here Saturday. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.